Hi, welcome to Trained. At Nike, we believe that greatness isn't born, it's trained. And that means more than just a workout. Each episode, we'll bring you conversations with leading experts in what we call the five facets of fitness. Training, recovery, nutrition, mindset, and sleep. I'm Ryan Flaherty, Senior Director of Performance at Nike. I train some of the world's best athletes, like Saquon Barkley, Russell Wilson, and Marcus Mariota. Today, we're focusing on longevity and how we can keep our minds and bodies strong in order to reach our long-term goals. You're listening to Trained, presented by Nike. When I was younger, as an athlete, I wake up every day invincible. We're going to push, 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 push to the limit because I know that that's going to make me faster. As I got older as an athlete, I have to dial it down a bit. And then also the priority becomes just staying together (laughs) because every day you're going to feel something that's a different mindset and you're going to make the right decisions based on your mindset. That's Michael Johnson, sprinter, four-time Olympic gold medalist, and the only male athlete to win both the 200 and 400 meter dash at the same Olympic Games. In 2007, Michael founded Michael Johnson Performance, a company that helps all athletes, everyone from young kids to the pros, accomplish their training goals and maximize their physical potential. In my conversation with Michael, you'll hear us talk about his Olympic mindset his unwavering mental endurance and strength. That Olympic mindset has helped Michael earn his spot as one of the greatest athletes of all time. It's also what drove him to fully recover after suffering a stroke. Michael brings that Olympic mindset to everything he does, especially to his work as the founder of Michael Johnson Performance, his training company based in Texas that specializes in training young athletes, everyday athletes, and the pros. Before Michael tells us about his work at MJP, I wanted to give you some insight into my own experience running a training facility and working with the next generation of athletes. When you train kids, you're not just working with them, you're working with their parents too. And working with parents means incorporating their own hopes and dreams for their kids. And one thing I constantly run into is the conversation around specialization. Parents often want their kids to focus on one sport rather than the skills it takes to play that sport well. They want their kids to specialize, to commit to playing one sport and that sport only. But I found that the best athletes actually specialize later in life. Many of them play lots of sports when they're younger. They don't just focus on football or baseball. They focus on foundational movements like running or throwing. And if you teach kids to move well with proper movement patterns, that neuromuscular coordination can translate to many sports and actually help them prevent injuries later in life. Here's an example. This one athlete I've trained in high school, he was a sprinter. He was a good sprinter, but he wasn't good enough to earn a spot on any college track and field team. But his senior year, he decided to go out for lacrosse. And after his first and only season, he was recruited and earned a full-ride scholarship to play lacrosse at Penn State. Because he had the proper training, he knew how to run well, how to move his body to maximize his potential as an athlete. Some kids might have been playing lacrosse for their entire lives, but this particular athlete could outrun almost all of them. And Penn State knew that being able to run well was an invaluable skill, and stick skills could come later. The story or analogy I always use is this. If every sport we played was in a pool or in water, the first thing we would teach kids is how to swim. And then we would teach them how to play water polo. But today, when most sports are played on fields or pitches or courts, we automatically go to teaching the sport without teaching kids how to run properly. My biggest advice for young athletes is focus on the basics, how to move properly, 
how to sprint, how to run, and then focus on the skills of the sport. That will set you up for success in the long run. Michael Johnson didn't set out to be one of the world's best sprinters. When he was younger, he played football, then pivoted to basketball, and eventually found his passion for running. The early exposure to different types of sports is what helped him become one of the greatest athletes of all time. And at MJP, he helps his athletes master those same basic skills. But teaching skills isn't the only way to help kids build up a training routine. Michael will tell us about the techniques he uses to help athletes of all ages achieve their goals. So let's get to our interview. Well, first of all, thank you for taking the time to join us today. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. I read something that said, I think you... I think you broke 44 in the 400, something like 23 times, I think, which is unbelievable for people who don't realize like that's just that's unreal. Your longevity was was something different and very special. What do you attribute to that? Like, how did you compete at such high level for so long and do so well in so many events? What would you attribute that to? Two things. Well, you know, two things beyond just first of all, you got to have I was fortunate to have some natural ability and, and a lot of speed. <laughs> um, but having a good team of people to help me stay healthy uh, for consistency and longevity, mm-hmm. that's really important. But then the other thing was just knowing myself as a person and how to get the best from myself. In order to get the best performance from yourself, no matter what you're doing, you have to know yourself really, really well. So I was always learning, doing a lot of, you know, very introspective, a lot of self-analysis. Yeah. I knew what type of atmosphere I needed to train in to get the best training. And then I knew what sort of mindset emotional state that I needed to be in on race day in order to produce my best performance on the day when it counts. Mm-hmm. That only knew those things from learning about myself. What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? How do I account for those weaknesses and own those? And how do I then enhance on the strengths? And knowing how to get the best for myself is what I attribute that yeah. longevity and consistency to. So many people attribute, I think, longevity to just your physical body, your ability to stay healthy and, and continue to perform at a high level for a long period of time. But I believe it's like it's almost all mental. The mental part, Ryan, drives all of those other things. So as you get older as an athlete, for example, you have to be mentally able to deal with the fact that now when I was younger <laughs> as an athlete, I wake up every day invincible. We're going to push, 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 push. And it's just going to push to the limit because I know that that's going to make me faster. Mm. As I got older as an athlete, now I can't push as hard every day. Even though I could try, I have to dial it down mm. a bit. And then also the priority becomes just staying you know, together. Yeah. <laughs> because every yeah. day you're going to feel something. And then by the end of practice, you're feeling a little soreness here. And you're praying to God that tomorrow when you wake up, that's not worse. <laughs> that's a different mindset. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand that and you have to be able to deal with that. And you're going to make the right decisions based on your mindset. Yeah. The same thing with, you know, being an athlete in the early 90s, beginning of my career before 1996 and double Olympic gold in history. I could do no wrong. Everyone wanted me to win. Everyone's rooting for me. And I can just go about everything that I do quietly. I win the Olympic gold medal in the 200 and 400 and break the world record in 96 at a home Olympics mm-hmm. in Atlanta. Now I'm a superstar. I can do everything wrong now. Mm-hmm. I can yeah. do nothing right. Nobody wants to see me win because that's not fun. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> you know, not that nobody wants to see me. No, you know, no, I yeah. I, and I don't believe in that whole thing that people build you up to pull you down. I had a lot of support. But 
you know, look, we all. I hear you saying though. Great yeah, thing yeah, about yeah. sports is like you right? want to, yeah, you yeah. want to see somebody else win. Yeah, so it's like yeah. it's no fun to just keep seeing <laughs> Michael win all the time. Let's see somebody, you know, nothing against Michael, but let's see somebody beat him. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So that's a different mindset. Now I'm not everyone's favorite. You know, it takes a different mindset. I realized at the very beginning in my career that I needed to have the, at least the, the basics, and I was fortunate to have a great track coach at Baylor University, who Clyde Hart, who's yeah. been my my coach for my entire career. I just continued to add to that staff as I saw a need. And so uh, one of the key people was Dale Smith, who was my physical therapist, who became a part of my team and traveled everywhere I, I, I went, and chiropractor as well, and uh, strength coach. And so all of those folks were part of a team. How did you handle being the best in the world at something? So for one thing, I was one of those weird people who liked being the favorite. I liked mm-hmm. the pressure. I, I'm just, I, I like competing under yeah. pressure. I like being the favorite. I like knowing that everyone expects me to win. And I realized at a, early in my career that I perform best when I'm under that pressure. Mm-hmm. So I didn't shy away from it. That doesn't mean that I wasn't always nervous before. I was nervous before every race, but I liked being nervous. Mm-hmm. And that's really weird, but I liked <laughs> yeah. it. I don't know why, but I liked it. Um, and that's the thing that I missed is that nervousness before a race. That's the only thing I miss about mm-hmm. competing. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, so I liked that position. So I was able to deal with it partially because I, I liked that, you know, the whole idea of enjoying the fruits of your labor and being able to, you know, partake in, you know, a lot of the things that come from having this celebrity and winning was one thing is more so than that. And I like that, you know, but the only thing I like more than that is winning. Hmm. I liked winning more. So winning was on my mind every day, all day. Wow. So Everything else came second to what do I need to do to win. Hmm. The other thing is, is I always knew when I realized I was going to be fortunate enough to have a career in, in sports that this is a job that you're going to have to retire from at a very early age. You guys have this idea that you talk about at MGP where we're not all made to be equal, but we're all made to be unique. When I read that, it stuck out to me because of how you ran your mechanics and how if I were to say today, a lot of coaches would watch you, there'd be things they would say, well, if he did this, he, you know what I mean? But what you did was so unique to you and your body and your mechanics, it's what made you great. And I think there's this missing link in training. I talk to a lot of trainers all the time where they're always trying to make everybody look and run the same. And then you're taking away most likely what is making that person great. And I think if anyone came to you and changed your mechanics to make you run like everybody else, we would have never had you and your records. And so is there a link to that quote and then you as an athlete? So when I, was, when I was in high school, when I was being recruited, every coach that came to my house and recruited me said, you're going to have to change your running style if you really want to truly be real, world class. All except for one. Clyde Hart from Baylor University never mentioned my running style. Wow. My running style was different. Yeah. You know, oh, you run funny, and I would mm. say you run slow. <laughs> and, you know, I could hold my yeah, own. Yeah. I could hold my own. Um, but uh, so... When I got to Baylor, and it, I didn't choose Baylor because of Clyde Hart because he never asked about my running style. I didn't. I was willing to change my running style. I was willing. I'm oh, not wow. just a high school kid, you know, and I'm being recruited by some of the top universities in the country. I'm and I want to be world class. I'm willing to do whatever I need to mm-hmm. do. But he never mentioned it. Never said anything about it. So I went through four years of Baylor, showing potential, and finished from Baylor and started my professional career. My first year of my professional career, I'm making history. I'm the first person to ever be ranked number one in the world in the 200 meters and 400 meters. Yeah. No one had ever done that before. And I did this my senior year of college, ranked wow. number one in the world. So after that, people started saying, all the commentators said, hey, he could be the world record holder at both events. 
but he's going to have to change his running style. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> and so finally, you know, my coach and I, you know, we kind of talked about it. And, and, and we, we actually worked with the U.S. Olympic Committee and had some studies commissioned to measure my uh, stride length mm-hmm. and stride frequency. Mm-hmm. And what we found was there's nothing wrong with my running mm-hmm. style. And my coach was like, I already knew there wasn't anything wrong with your running style, but we need to make sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and but what we found was some things that actually that were helping made you me, fast, yeah. that made me fast. Yeah. So we started to we use that information to actually, you know, inform the training and do some, you know, and, and enhance that. Mm. But anyway, shortly after that, my coach was doing an interview on TV with some some commentators and talking about my running style. And they said, why haven't you ever tried to change his running style? Because he needs to change his running style. And he said, first of all. First time I ever saw Michael running, I noticed two things. One, yeah, I noticed that his running style was different, but I thought two things. One, his running style is different, but he's the guy in front. <laughs> so, so, so that's one thing. And he said, more importantly, he said, you know, he reminded me of another sprinter that you guys are probably all, because my coach was older, he said, you guys probably all forgot about because you've been watching Carl Lewis all these years. Mm-hmm. And he said, he reminded me of Jesse Owens. Wow, yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Jesse Owens had a much more upright Very running tall, style yeah. and probably the best sprinter, in my opinion, that there has ever mm. been. World record holding the 100, 200, long jump, yeah. hurdles. Yeah. He broke all of those world records in one day. <laughs> Most people don't <laughs> know crazy. that. Yeah, right? that's so, unbelievable. Amazing sprinter, very upright. That doesn't mean that everyone should try to run upright. That was unique to me. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to try to do that. It came natural yeah, to me. Yeah. If you try to make someone do that and it doesn't come naturally to them, it's not going to work of for course, them. Yeah. So absolutely, our training is informed by our coaches having to be intelligent coaches who don't just take a script and apply that to everyone else. You have to read the athlete, understand the athlete, and then you have to develop the program based on that athlete yeah. and what they naturally have and what they need. What are some of the qualities that you're looking for that best represents the trainers that you guys want to have on staff? The most important thing we look for is, a, you know, I was fortunate to have a really good coach. And I understood what made him a great coach, and that was he was a great teacher. Hmm. You know, I'd come to training every day and he'd say, Michael, what do you think we're going to do today? <laughs> and if I was wrong, he'd tell me that, no, we're not doing that. This is why we're not doing that. This is why we're doing this. And he was... He was teaching me, and he understood that the better Michael understands what we're trying to do and better he understands the workout, the better he's going to be able to execute the workout and the more informative he's going to be able to provide me good feedback mm, as a, a coach, tip, which yeah. is going to help him as a coach. So I look for teachers. You know, I'm not a coach. A lot of people are shocked by that and think, you know, that because you're, if you're a great athlete, you should be a great yeah. coach. It's not necessarily true. I mean, at the level that we're at now, I mean, in our coaches, if, some, if I walk through my door looking for a job, you're not going to get it and, uh, <laughs> because I don't have any experience coaching sure. and teaching, and it's not my passion. Business is my passion. That's mm. what I studied in school. I studied business. I look for good teachers and people who are passionate about teaching athletes. But then we've got those coaches who they just get a joy out of coming to work every day and working with kids mm. because you're going to get a huge improvement. <laughs> I mean, it's huge. You yeah. know what you get and the look on that confidence you can build in that kid because you know, Ryan, when that kid starts feeling himself being faster, they're excited. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're excited. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, hey, I'm faster today, mm-hmm. you know, and they're excited and you are God to mm-hmm. them, right? Yeah. And we've got those coaches. So at Michael Johnson Performance, coaches who coach youth athletes are not coaching youth athletes and passionate about that because it's kind of help them become a pro athlete coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't ever want to be a pro athlete coach. They want to coach youth athletes. Yeah. 
They want to coach youth athletes. And so, and that's what we look for for those coaches that specialize in working with our youth athletes is that you like working with kids. You like teaching kids, and you want to do that, and that's what you want to do, and you want to be good at it. Michael has had an insanely successful career as a college runner, an Olympic athlete. Despite his busy schedule and life-altering stroke, he still finds the time, strength, and motivation to train. We'll get into Michael's current training routine after the break. But first, here's Brandon Collinsworth, a Nike master trainer, with some tips we can all apply to our training routine. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Brandon Collinsworth, and I'm a Nike master trainer based in Los Angeles. I'm also a yoga teacher, human performance coach, and hold a master's degree in positive psychology. My tip for you is this. Whenever I start working with a new athlete, I always share the same advice. You are powerful and come fully equipped with the tools you need to excel on all levels. It's my goal to help them access and amplify these tools both internally and externally. Everyone's journey is different, so it's important to first find out what motivates them. For me, that's always the starting point. Once I understand what lights a fire in my clients, I can then build a program that is uniquely tailored to them. Remember, a goal without a plan is just a wish. With everyone I work with, I establish clear expectations and lay out a game plan so I know where we are going and why we are doing what we are doing. Once the why and the how is established, consistency is the key. Be patient and trust the process. Small wins lead to major wins over time. Remember, the journey is truly the reward. When you see progress and when you take the time to acknowledge your effort, that's when you find the motivation to keep going. That's how you reach that big, big goal and stay invested in your next goal too. Michael Johnson did not win four Olympic gold medals overnight. Be proud of where you are, and most importantly, be proud of making the commitment to show up. That is just one of my training tips. If you're looking for more guidance on training, check out the Nike Training Club app. It has holistic guidance and free workouts designed by Nike experts. There is something in there for everyone, no matter your level. Right now, there's a great workout collection that will help you start or advance your training with yoga. I designed some of the workouts myself, so go check it out. That's Nike Training Club app, available on both Android and iOS. One thing I see across the board is when a kid learns at an early age how to run properly, every other sport becomes easier because speed is king. And as you know, like if you start with the ability to sprint and run and the proper mechanics to do that, I feel like every other sport becomes just easier. What is your thought on that? Am I off or? No, you're, you're right. We look at it from this standpoint. Uh, it's not just running. It's just movement. Mm-hmm. You know, it's efficient movement. So you, you start teaching kids how to move. And you teach that through teaching them awareness. And as you know, you know, there's all sorts of windows that open sure, and close, yep. you know, with youth Learning. athletic development. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so you just follow that. When is the right time to start to really teach that spatial awareness and body awareness and coordination? And that's what it is. When they miss that, yeah. I remember, was, I think our second year, we had a group of uh, football players, high school football players in and and I'm looking at them, and they could do a basic A skip. And one of them was going <laughs> to University of Texas on a scholarship. Yeah. And I'm like, this guy can't even skip. But if you miss that that window, if you miss that coordination, yeah, and you're so focused on the skill, then Absolutely. that skill better be out of control good <laughs> because you've missed the athleticism. Yeah. So it's about movement and yeah. teaching kids early how to move properly. Yeah. We're just trying to help every kid, every athlete, 
be the best that they can be. So they do have that confidence. So they do enjoy sports more. And so they continue to enjoy sport, even if their career ends with high school. I want to take a step back and talk about kind of what you're currently doing. How do you train today? What's your personal training look like today? It's much different than it used to be. That's for sure. Nobody, uh, there's no medal. <laughs> there's no medals at stake. Mm-hmm. Nobody clapping at the finish line <laughs> when I finish a workout. You know, uh, and and that makes motivation hard. I think a lot of people think, you know, they say, is it hard not still training at a high level? No, that was, <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Yeah. You know, but what is hard is finding the motivation when it's not your job anymore. Mm-hmm. There's no financial reward. There's no. There's no medals. Mm-hmm. There's no no competition, you know. And, but I've figured out how to embrace it. So I run. I enjoy running, mm-hmm. you know, a few miles. When I was competing as a sprinter, I would see people jogging. And I'd be like, why would anybody want to ever them? do that? What's wrong with them? <laughs> why would anybody want to do that? But I, I, I love it. It's for longevity and, and health. And so every week I'm out doing a mix of cardio and strength and coordination and balance mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. It's normal people, civilian training now. <laughs> How does sleep play a role in for you? We talk about at Nike, we talk a lot about the five facets. So there's training, nutrition, recovery, mindset, and sleep. How does sleep play a role for you today? Sleep has always been important for me, and I'm, I'm one of those lucky people that I don't have a problem sleeping. And I work a lot. I'm very active, and I've got a, got a company to run. You know, and over the last few years since I, I retired, I've had a few companies to run. Mm-hmm. And, and so that takes a lot of energy, being a father, you know, yeah. husband, raising a kid, you know, that takes a lot of energy. And so <laughs> wanting to be the best I can be for all of that, you know, sleep has always been and recovery has always been important for me. So uh, good eight hours a night, every night, there's never been a problem for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm lucky with that, but it's always been a priority for me. Yeah. Yeah. Last year, Mike, it was made public that you suffered a mini stroke last year and obviously changes, I'm sure, a lot of in terms of how you live, what you're thinking about and, and priorities, obviously. You made a full recovery, and you kind of attributed it to your Olympic mindset. Can you explain that a little bit? Can you talk about what that experience was like for you and then how you worked your way through that adversity and how people can, you know, hear your story and hopefully find some inspiration through it? Yeah, sure. I mean, it, was, it, it wasn't it was a mini stroke. It was an actual wow. full-on stroke, and um, it was shocking. I um, got to the, the hospital. Thankfully, I went to the hospital because I didn't have this jolt, sort of like a heart attack yeah. or anything. I just— I didn't feel right. I had some. I just finished a workout at my wow. my home gym, and my, I was having trouble coordinating my left foot, and I was feeling tingling in my left arm and all down my left side. So, my wife and I decided to go ahead and go to the hospital. Um, many people would have said, eh, "I think I'll just try to sleep this off," because yeah. that's you know it wasn't. But by the time I got to the hospital, and within two hours, I couldn't walk. Wow! Couldn't stand on my left leg. Couldn't put any weight on it. Couldn't walk. And. Um, uh, the first CT scan didn't show a stroke, but uh, after an MRI, it showed that I had actually suffered a stroke deep on the left side of my brain, right side of my brain. And um, doctors told me, you, you've suffered a stroke, and um, and I couldn't walk, couldn't stand on my left side. And um, so I asked, you know, will I recover? And will, will I recover? And will I make a full recovery? And they said, that is the right question. It's the question that every stroke victim asks. And there is no specific answer to that question. Only time will tell. Some people make a full recovery. Some people don't. The fact that you're in such good shape, you know, bodes well for you. But only time will tell. So uh, two days later, I was finally able to allow me to actually uh, start physical therapy. So you need to start physical therapy as soon as possible after a stroke. 
the sooner you start, the, the, the better your chances. Um, but they w- don't want you doing that sort of thing for two days um, after a stroke. So, so I was in the hospital and I started, and um, I walked um, with a walker with a therapist. And just so happened, we walked about 200 meters. I promise you, no bull, 200 wow. meters. It took about 10 minutes. I used to do that in 19 seconds. But I wasn't discouraged. In fact, I was encouraged. And when I got back to my room, I told my wife, I'm going to make a full recovery, and I'm going to make it faster than anyone has ever made a recovery before because I could feel with every instruction my therapist was giving me and coaching me, when I willed my mind and tried to make my left foot do what my right foot was doing, it would get just a tiny fraction better. Mm. Not a lot, just a tiny fraction. That felt familiar to me. <laughs> that I know. And so mm-hmm. I knew that. It was familiar. When I was in that Olympic mindset back when I was training for the Olympics, it was all about those tiny improvements. So so what I meant by that, and so yeah, so I got out of the hospital, and you know, two weeks later I was back to walking with a pretty significant limp, but able to do all of the things on my own and get dressed by myself and all that. By a month later I'm walking, and now I'm, you know, five months after the stroke, and... Um, and I'm, you know, I, two months after the stroke, I was back to normal people normal. As uh-huh. my doctor says, you know, the normal I'm looking for is not normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's where I was before the stroke, sure. and I've been still trying to get back there. And I'm about 95% there now. So running, I'm back running. I'm doing it. But just awesome. I need to be back the way that I was. But, but I was able to get there through getting back to that level of uh, that mindset that I had as an, as an Olympic athlete mm-hmm. where – I woke up every morning with one objective, and then that was to be better hmm. and to improve when I was you know, training for the Olympics and to be ready on the day. This was different, but it was the same in, in many ways where it's, I want to get my livelihood back. I don't want to have to depend on my family to help me get dressed and to have to you know, help me walk. So it was crucial for me to get back, and so uh, I woke up every morning focused on training and looking for those tiny little improvements every day all of you guys like share some common traits and and one of those is that your minds are just so strong i mean you guys have the ability to face adversity and exactly how you just said you deal with it in a way where you're just going to get better every single day and i think that's such a great message because so many people i think think that they should wake up tomorrow and overhaul their entire diet and they're going to be healthier and overhaul their training program and get healthier instead of just saying i just need to be a little bit better than i was yesterday and if i can do that that's a step in the right direction and that continues to fuel and motivate you all throughout life i appreciate that ryan yeah and it's i was fortunate as to have the background as an athlete and having learned about myself and how I get the best for myself, whether it be as a father, whether it be, you know, in business and certainly with this challenge, you know, health yeah. challenge that I had. And so I was fortunate to be able to learn how to get the best for myself. And this certainly required me to be at my best and get the best for myself because it was the only way that I was going to get better. It was the only way I was going to overcome. And so I know that what I needed was to be able to look forward and be motivated by that improvement as opposed to you know, sort of, and I had to look in the mirror a lot because I was trying to regain coordination and balance. And yeah. the last thing you need at that point is to look in the mirror and think, I used to be King Kong. And now today I'm struggling to stand, you know, on one leg. Mm-hmm. And I had a great team at MJP. Those guys were great. They know me and they knew exactly what I need, which was, you know, I perform best under pressure and expectation. So they were all like, I expect you to be back, <laughs> you know, fully just like you were, and I know that if anybody can do it, you can. That's what I needed, and I know mm-hmm. that I had to shy away from the people who were saying, 
Michael, I'm so sorry this happened to you. I get it and I appreciate that, but that does not work for me. The sure sympathy enough. thing, I had I had to just try to seriously compartmentalize myself away from sympathy because that becomes contagious for someone like me and I can't I can't do that. Mm. I, it's got to be the expectation is that you're going to get out there every day, you're going to get the work done no matter how difficult it is, no matter how hard it is, and even if it's a minuscule improvement, that's good enough today and you're going to get out there and do it again tomorrow. Awesome, man. That's an amazing way to end this. I just want to say thank you. This has been a true honor for me. Thank you for the time. Really appreciate it. And as always, man, you're just amazing. So thank you. All right. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It was so great talking to Michael about his career and training philosophy. But if there's one thing I'm going to take away from that conversation, it's this. It's clear that Michael is so committed to everything he does, not just running. He applies the same dedication to his sport, his career, his family, everything. What's made him successful isn't just natural talent, it's his work ethic. He could barely walk after a stroke, and now he's back to running and training. He was able to accomplish all of these amazing feats because he was willing to stick to his goals and make progress, even if it was just a little every day. So many people see pro athletes and think that success is related to talent or some innate inaccessible quality. But, like Michael, most athletes are successful because they've invested in their training. Regardless of whether you're a pro athlete or someone who just wants to stay fit, anyone can see results if they take the time to train consistently. Trained is produced by Nike Training Club Pro. If you're a trainer, join a community of trainers looking to make fitness better for everyone. Learn from leading experts in performance, mindset, nutrition, recovery, and sleep. And get an exclusive 30% discount on Nike gear. Apply at nike.com slash ntcpro. We'll be back next time with a conversation with Allison Felix, Olympic gold medalist and world champion runner. This is Trained. Talk to you soon. Consult your doctor before engaging in an exercise program of any kind, especially if you have a medical condition. Use good judgment and common sense about your own fitness level and ability when engaging in a training program. If something doesn't feel right, stop immediately and seek medical attention as necessary.